How selective are we when it comes to the people in our lives? Maybe it's, it's not around a lunch table anymore, but you get a notification on your phone. So-and-so wants to become your friend. Ignore. Or so-and-so says something that you don't really agree with, so unfriend. It's that easy. Or, or maybe it's not just social media, but the demographics in your neighborhood. They've been changing over the years, and still nice people moving in, but for a couple of months, a for sale sign goes up in the front yard. Our culture can be brutally selective with choosing the people, the friends in our lives. More often than not, we try to stay away from the people at the bottom. Jesus took that culture and he flipped it upside down. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. The portion of scripture that I'd like to share with you this morning comes from Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's word. I must have been only seven or eight years old, but I've never forgotten it. I was lying on the carpet floor of my grandma's house, and there was a TV show on. The show was documenting this massive wildfire, the kind of wildfire that tears through grasslands at 15, 20 miles per hour even. And there were two men right in the path of this fire. And they did the most backwards thing ever. Instead of running, they stopped and they started a fire. They, they burned a patch in the grass, and, and after they managed to put out that smaller fire, they laid down right in the middle of that burnt patch. And as the wildfire raged through, the two men lived. And so now whenever I hear about a wildfire on the news, I always think about that story. It's stuck in my mind just because of how backwards it is, how, how different it is from anything that I'd ever think to do in a situation like that. But backwards isn't 
bad. In fact, in that situation, it was actually life-saving. This morning, I want to show you something that you'll hopefully never forget. Something that's backwards. Something that's life-giving. This morning, I want to show you Christian community. And how it's countercultural through the people that it connects and through the people that it cares for. Christian community is countercultural through the people it connects. Paul is going to give us a look at this Christian community in Romans chapter 12. The first 11 chapters, Paul lays out this beautiful summary of Christian doctrine. He talks about justification and grace and faith. And now in chapter 12, Paul transitions. He, he builds on that beautiful gospel foundation and he tells us about the life that we now get to live in view of all of God's mercy. But what Paul has for us this morning, it's, it's more than just moral standards to live by. Because when he says to live in harmony with one another and to associate with people even of a lowly position, he's not just saying to be kind, nice people. What he is doing is he's opening our eyes to real community. Something that we all desperately need. I want you to imagine for a minute that you're in a large room. There are hundreds of people in this room. And there are a hundred tables with, with chairs around each one. All you need to do is find one empty chair. But if you choose the wrong chair, it could be one of the worst decisions of your life. The atmosphere in the room is that cutthroat. Where you sit says a lot about you. And so you're, you're looking for an empty chair, you're scanning the room, and you see there's, there's a lot of empty chairs in the back, but you notice that the people sitting there seem to be a little bit different, and well, you don't want to be known as different, so you keep looking. Everyone is watching, waiting to see where you're going to sit. Where will you sit in the high school cafeteria? Now, hopefully this doesn't trigger too many bad memories of anyone's first day in high school. Maybe, maybe I exaggerated a little bit, but you know that at that age, the social atmosphere can be cutthroat. Who you talk to, who you eat with, all of that sort of factors into your popularity. And the, the popular, they hang out with the popular, and the, the not-so-popular hang out with the not-so-popular. But do we leave that mindset behind at high school graduation? Or are we still living in that cutthroat atmosphere? How selective are we when it comes to the people in our lives? Maybe it's, it's not around a lunch table anymore, but you get a notification on your phone. So-and-so wants to become your friend. Ignore. Or so-and-so says something that you don't really agree with, so unfriend. It's that easy. Or, or maybe it's not just social media, but the demographics in your neighborhood. They've been changing over the years, and 
still nice people moving in, but after a couple of months, the for sale sign goes up in the front yard. Our culture can be brutally selective with choosing the people, the friends in our lives. And more often than not, we try to stay away from the people at the bottom. Jesus took that culture and he flipped it upside down. Everyone was watching, just waiting to see where Jesus would sit. And Jesus was, he was popular enough that he probably could have sat just about anywhere. But he sat with the people who are different. He sat with the people at the bottom of the bottom. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the the people with contagious disease, people with demons. And people noticed this and they asked, Jesus, why why are you eating with those sinners? Where you sit says a lot about you. Jesus was breaking down the walls, the dividing walls of society. And instead of choosing the friends that he felt he needed, he chose the people who needed a real friend. And here we are this morning, people who all needed a real friend. It is so backwards, so backwards why he chose us. But Jesus, he he broke down the, the dividing walls of sin so that he could be friends with us. And, and we, who, we who gather at the Lord's table, we're quite the bunch, aren't we? I say that with a smile on my face, but we all bring certain things to the Lord's table, our own backgrounds, our own mistakes, our own regrets, our own sin, all of that we bring to the Lord's table. But being at the Lord's table says a lot about who we are. It says that we're a part of God's family. We're a part of God's community. And so now we really get to live life. And it's, it's so much more than just watching people's lives on a screen. It's going out into the real world and living life with people. It's not unfriending and and unfollowing these profiles, but it's living in harmony with with one another, no matter how popular that person may or may not be. And so that means little things like waving to the person you wouldn't normally wave to. It it means inviting someone out for dinner, not just because you want to have a good time, but maybe because that person needs a good friend. This is the life that Christ would have us live. Not just because it's our responsibility, but because it's a joy. Christ has given us so much more than a like button to click. He's given us these deep, raw emotions that we can connect with other people, laughing with them and and crying with them and, and rejoicing with them. All of these things to bring us together with real people. And so that we don't have to hide behind those filtered photos. But we can live life with people, sharing our our real stories and our real struggles. This 
is pretty countercultural right now. Sharing life together at this level, and especially with people who are different. But it's life giving. Christian community is countercultural that way through the people that it connects. And so far, we've especially been thinking about those people who, who need a real friend, people who are looking for authentic, genuine community. But we need to push the boundaries even further than that. Because what about the people whom we've tried to become friends with, but they've quickly turned enemies? What about those people? Christian community is also countercultural through the people that it cares for. Paul describes what this Christian community looks like in the real world. And it's, it's a pretty tall order. When Paul says to be careful to do what is right in the sight of everyone, or when he says, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's not a lot of wiggle room there. Everyone, whether we want to believe it or not, means everyone. It means our enemies. It means the people who have gone personally out of their way just to hurt or harm us in some way. Paul knows exactly what we'd like to do to those people. And it's probably not caring for them and and cooking them a nice warm meal. But Paul says, do not take revenge. We hear that to not take revenge and we might have to hold back a sigh of frustration because we know how sweet revenge can feel. People can't get enough of the stuff. People love watching a good movie with revenge in it. People later tonight are hoping to see some revenge on the football field, right? A hard hit is met by a harder hit. People just love that stuff. And so to hear that in our relationships, we're not supposed to get even with people. That sounds like bad news. That sounds like we're, we're losing, like we're missing out on this really good thing. But when God says, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay, that is good news. Because we don't need to worry about getting even with someone, because when God is in control, he always comes out on top. And so we're not wasting our time and energy trying to think, how can I get even with that person? Instead, we get to use that same time and energy to care for people, to care for the people who have hurt us. It's a tall order. But Paul's not alone on this one. We heard Jesus' sermon earlier in the gospel reading. He says the same thing, love your enemies. And did Jesus ever love his enemies? He practiced exactly what he preached. He loved his enemies in the most unbelievable ways, caring for them in the deepest way possible by revealing himself, by revealing himself as their savior. You think about some of Jesus' enemies. You've got the Pharisees. They had felt so threatened by Jesus' popularity and by his preaching that they had plotted to kill him. 
But Jesus, he takes the time to have a conversation with one of those Pharisees by the name of Nicodemus. And he tells Nicodemus all about spiritual life. Years later, Nicodemus the Pharisee was reverently carrying the body of his Lord to the grave. Jesus cared for his political enemies too. The Roman centurion that was overseeing Jesus' execution. This execution was was different from any of the others that he had seen. This man was, he wasn't cursing the soldiers who were inflicting torture upon him, but he was blessing them. And so Jesus cared for this political enemy of his, this Roman centurion, by making sure he saw it all happen. That centurion saw Jesus hanging there on the cross, surrounded by thick darkness. And that centurion felt the earth shake as Jesus breathed his last. And seconds later, do you know what that centurion said? He said, surely this was the Son of God. Jesus also cared for a man who was personally going out of his way to hurt and to kill his family of believers and evangelists. A man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Perhaps one of the greatest enemies of the early church. But Jesus cared for him in the deepest way possible by revealing himself on the road to Damascus. And here we are this morning reading this man's words. The words of the Apostle Paul. Paul knew just how backwards everything was that God would choose him. That God would care for him. That God would love him in such a deep way. And so that's why Paul is writing this letter to us. He wants us to know that God cared for all of his enemies. Even you and me. Now you you might be thinking... Well, those guys were God's enemies. They really had it out against him. But I've never had anything against God. When we start to have thoughts like that, we need to take a step back from what culture has been saying for years. That we come into the world with a blank slate and that we're just sort of neutral. But you know there's nothing neutral about the way you've treated enemies or even friends. And there's certainly nothing blank about the stain and and the filth of sin that we came into this world with. Paul writes about that earlier in the letter to the Romans. He writes, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. We were God's enemies, but we were reconciled. Our relationship changed from being his enemies to being his sons and his daughters. And even that is so much better than a blank slate. That is a relationship with the Heavenly Father. So much change from enemies to dearly loved children. And here we all are this morning. In view of God's mercy, 
we've been set free from the patterns of the world when it comes to how we treat people, how we treat our enemies even. And all of God's commands, they, they, even though we might not understand the reason behind them, they're perfect. And so when he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. We gladly listen. Whatever need that our enemy has, we care for them and we love them. We go against what culture says and we love the people who have hurt us. We care for the people who have robbed us of joy. It takes a miracle to do that. But it's the same miracle that's been worked in our lives. So this this command from God to love your enemies, it's perfect. We wouldn't even need to understand the why behind it. But there is a why. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that does sound a little bit strange. That sounds like a pretty sweet way to get revenge, to throw burning hot charcoal in someone's face. But Paul means something completely different when he quotes this proverb. And in order for us to sort of pick up this imagery, we need to imagine a culture that existed before electricity, before gas fireplaces that you could just flip on with a switch. Imagine with me for a moment, it's an early, cold morning. There's a knock on your door, and it's your neighbor. Not the nice, friendly neighbor that lives across the street, but the mean, grumpy, cruel neighbor that lives next door. His fire went out last night, and he needs help. And so even though this guy's been a real jerk to you for 10, 12 years, you go back inside and to your own fire and you shovel some coals and you take them back to your neighbor and you put them in this clay dish that he's brought over. And as your neighbor takes this this dish of coals and as he turns to leave, he's putting it over his head to carry it, he looks at you and he thanks you. Loving your enemies. It seems so backwards. But what do you think that that neighbor's thinking about as he's walking back in the cold with those warm coals above him? He knew he didn't deserve it. And I don't think he would soon forget that kindness. And you wonder, maybe, just maybe, is that the beginning of a new relationship, a new friendship in which one man can care for his neighbor in the deepest way possible by revealing Christ. And so what seemed so backwards, helping that unfriendly neighbor start a fire, it was more than just good. It was life-saving. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we stand in amazement that you have chosen us to be your friends. We ask that you fill our hearts with genuine love for people, with people of all sorts. And Lord, we ask that you fill our hearts with forgiveness and compassion for our enemies so that we can share with them the life-saving truths of your gospel.
It is in your name we pray. Amen.